Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is hip-hop artist and raptivist, Plato. Plato, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here with y'all. I noticed on your website, uh, Plato.com, by the way, which will be in the show notes, that you added the term raptivist. So in a little bit, we'll get to talking about what that is. Uh, we're here to talk about your new album, Empires Die, Life Evolves. I'm a big fan of this type of hip hop music. It's got a very huge punk rock undertone. And, you know, me and my music uh, over the years has been extremely political. And so listening to this concept album about late stage capitalism and America's decline and whatnot, I thought it was really fitting to have you on my show because I love what you're doing. Very different styles, but I'm a, I'm a fan of what you're up to. And this has been a long, huge undertaking. Tell me about when this project started. So the album's called Empires Die, Life Evolves. And this has been going for two or three years. I worked on it for three years nonstop. And uh, yeah, it started having an influence with all there's going on in my life. Like I was uh, working a street outreach position. And uh, I would just experience crazy stuff on the streets nowadays, um, working with the unhoused, working with people with mental health uh, issues, substance abuse challenges. And I broke up a machete fight at work. And uh, the same week, Mac Miller died. And also, I had just accumulated so much stress in my system from like experiences like breaking up machete fights or like holding teenagers as they're like overdosing and calling ambulances and stuff and like it just shot my nervous system and i woke up one night in a lot of pain and i didn't understand what was going on i thought i was gonna die and i was like i better make one last album just in case i do pass on uh to really communicate what i felt was my life and my message in these times yeah. So. yeah, I've said a lot of times uh, on this show, you know, making music for me is a, is a form of therapy. I mean, it's an outlet, like no question. So is that something that for you, do you knowingly kind of when you're writing stuff, does it do you set a deadline and kind of a goal? Sounds like with this one you did. But a lot of times with creative outlets, it just kind of pours out. Do you kind of have both experiences? So a lot, I definitely have both, you know, like a lot of those songs are inspired. You can find it in the lyrics. Like there's a lyric like, um, streets where people lay half asleep and half dead. Um, 
and like sweeping up the needles. And for a while, my job was like picking up hypodermic needles off of the streets. Mm. So like that made it in the lyrics and certainly anything personally I'm going through. Um, you know, some pieces have that really well thought out, like, I want to write a song about how the political affects the personal. And then I'll meditate on it and think it in my head for a long time. And some songs come that way, but other songs just come out of the, the ethers and, and those are fun. I just kind of let myself be open to them all. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty uh, wild how diverse uh, musically the album is, too. And then also... There's a ton of features. Uh, you know, there's a lot of features. You're, you've are you already put out two music videos, but did I read that there's going to be 11? Yeah, there's 11 yeah. videos. So let's, let's talk about some of the features. I know that, I mean, if we mention that, how many people are on this project, do you have an actual number? Because it's so big. Yeah, yeah. So 63 musicians are on the album. If you count like illustrators and photographers and like fashion designers and people have helped me in other realms, there have been over a hundred people helping put this album out. Um, but in terms of musicians, it's 63. And for me, it was like, because I was working that street outreach job and like really witnessing th what I thought was the fall of the empire, or what I guess I still think is the fall of the empire. Um, I realized that story was bigger than just mine to tell we're all a part of this really unique, special, challenging, marvelous, interesting time in history. And I'm just like one puzzle piece of that picture of what's going on right now. So I want to invite a lot of people in. I think um, that's so huge. That's I mean, music is about community. And I think, I don't know if I've ever heard of a project with 60 plus per artists on it. You know, 20 yeah, if you're going to go big, try to go big as yeah. you can. This I is see. my thoughts. Like, I'm never going to try to do this again. I'll yeah. tell you. All yeah. That. I see why it's 28 tracks. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah I'll take that long of an album again. Either. Yeah. I see <laughs> why it took three years because there's a lot of times in hip hop, especially where you might have a crew, you might have three or four homies that you're making music with. And you're like, I'm going to go solo because I don't want to deal with their stupid drama and all the all the timing and scheduling and, and personal lives and whatnot. And it's yeah. easy in hip hop because you can make a track with one person. You know, it's pretty simple to do live music. It's obviously you can be a singer songwriter, but to do li a live band, you're going to need at least three people, you know. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, 60 something people is pretty wild. Twenty eight tracks, uh, you know, musically, let's talk about that. When yeah. each each different thing, like you said, there's all these different musicians. What is the uh, what is the what does it look like the creative process? Like when you're setting out, do you start writing the lyrics first, or do you start writing the music first? It all depends on on the piece, you know. And I really let an organic process unfold. So I was also really inspired by like I like to say crazy Uncle Kanye. Um, the Kanye West method, which was like he would invite all these different people into the studio at a time. Um, and some people would be musicians and some wouldn't even be musicians. And I heard about that process. And so for a lot of songs, that's what I would do is I would just like invite six, seven people into the studio and see what we would cook up and see what happened. And like let the moment kind of be a container and a facilitator to midwife whatever music needs to come out. That's definitely how I did a lot of pieces. Um, other pieces, it was like, 
thinking about people that I really like and respect and thinking, I wonder what would happen if I put that person and that person and that person on a song. And certainly it all changed in the COVID era because like we went from like these big studio sessions to like a much more email based kind yeah. of. I was going to ask, there's, you know, the band Postal Service was the first I'd yeah. ever heard of this concept and uh, they made all their music through the mail. You know, that's where they got the name and. Oh, they, crazy. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of a modern thing where you record stuff at separate houses. You know, it's like my, my project of, I had Roger McConnell on for the to come record guitar, but you know, gradient Thomas Yuta, he did it at his house and then he sends me the, the tracks and stuff like that. And then you put it all together. It's kind I like that, but I definitely prefer doing it in person, you know? And it, I mean, when you're recording on a laptop by yourself with your mixer and you try, you have to be the, producer and the artist at the same time sometimes that's frustrating as well and you can't really belt out as much and there's a yeah. lot of challenges there uh now i had mentioned the term raptivist i thought this was kind of interesting because there's so many different ways that you can describe a hip-hop artist you know so a rapper hip-hop artist mc what does a raptivist mean to you yeah um it's so funny that you you brought that up um so to me, I guess it's like, I want to talk the walk that I walk and really make sure that I'm not just about talking the talk and I try to walk the walk to the best of my ability and how to fuse those kind of concepts of how does one actively engage in their community and their world to be a force for good, as well as like be an entertainer. Um, yeah, because an activist is is such a misunderstood term. You know, I think yeah. a lot when I think of well, when a lot of people think activists, they think somebody throwing a Molotov cocktail through a window, you know, or something like that sometimes. But realistically, it's not. It's helping people in first responders to tragic events. You look, you look at a Katrina situation, for example. Yeah. There's there's so many people that were just people like yourself that are passionate about helping people in crisis that came together, that's what I would consider to be an activist. So when you can yeah. create that outlet uh, and musically and then you talk about it, anyone, will, the, when they listen to their to your music, they'll see where it kind of, uh, where it hits. Uh, let's talk about politics and music. Okay. You know, uh, it's obvious that, like I had mentioned before, you've got kind of a punk rock undertone to your hip hop music. Where does that, you know, how do I word this? With politics, where does that kind of, mindset come you had talked also about the end of an empire so it's almost like you have a more of an anti-establishment it's not left or right is that correct it's kind of more just like anti-establishment yeah i mean i i don't know if i would even say i'm anti-establishment i'm definitely not left or right um i think that for me it's about reflecting what i see um happening going on through my art and thinking about how we can process all that data to be the most useful for our lives. And sometimes that means, you know, holding feelings of grief. Sometimes that means expressing feelings of rage. And ultimately it's about how do we find some kind of recovery or redemption or a way forward um, given the circumstances that challenge us. Yeah, I think that's, that's actually 
now when you say that, I think about it. I don't know. I don't know you very well. This is the first time we've talked, but we have been Facebook friends for a couple of years. So I have a good yeah. feel and I'm sure, you know, you see my stuff too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're anti anything. <laughs> you know, you've got such a you've got such a positive outlook. And so yeah, that's a good way to look at things. It's like there is grief and anger and pain and all this stuff. That's a normal thing to feel. You know, and I think sometimes when it the political realm, we look at this right or wrong answer and we have to stop that. <laughs> you know, we have to start looking at ways that we can compromise and listen and that kind of stuff. And so Yeah, uh, bring in the nuance and maybe that's where the rap and the uh, raptivist comes in is like trying to pre create that entertaining aesthetic effect that art has on the on the soul on the psyche right you know and also bring comfort you know for people the listeners that maybe they res the lyrics resonate with them and the content resonates with them because they have the same grief and same pain and same anger you know and yeah. and that's something that uh anything that you can use your voice to kind of say, Hey, you're not alone. You know, you know that a lot of times my music has always been about division. If you listen to stuff I wrote in like 2004, I was talking about the media manipulation and division division in the country and in the world. Yeah. And I love it how you get on social media now and this, you know, this huge thing, social media. And then there's these people that's like, I don't know if people realize how divided it is. I'm like, are you kidding? Like you're just now getting it. You know, it's it's not new to me. Uh, now let's talk about where. Can I ask you a question? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think? Because I kind of feel like the division has grown even more, though. Like, oh my I feel gosh, like big time! That division um, growing up for me, but it's gotten even wider in the past five, ten years or so. Yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that the two, the left and right, you know, two sides, the two extremes, it's basically. You know, each side thinks that if the other side is victorious in pushing their agenda, that the world will end. You know, so so I'm, I I think that if we don't find a way to come together, then it could, you know, and, and I don't I mean, when there's violence being threatened, really, I don't want to see this is the thing. I don't want to make like a false equivalence either by by, by any any way. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that people don't look at each other as being just human beings with a beating heart anymore they look at them like their ideas and it's just yeah, absolutely it's crazy you know that that it's gotten so ugly i mean i talked on the show about january 6th the insurrection at the capitol in washington i talked on the show about some of the riots in oregon in portland i don't use the word riot lightly you know i know the difference between a protest and a riot you know there's destruction of property that has no benefit and then there's destruction of property that actually sets an ex sets a tone. So there's a balance that's really, really a thin line. Yeah. But no, I, I completely agree that we've gotten so much more divided. And the social media stuff, I mean, we're learning more and more. I kind of knew it in my heart, but now that there's whistleblowers coming out with more information on it, I could kind of see it that it's the algorithms were built to make you angry. You know, and now we're knowing it was by design. I didn't know if it was necessarily conscious, but I think it, it completely was. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's all psychology, everything that those social media algorithms are based on. And it's interesting because it's it's like psychology devoid of any kind of philosophical understanding of morality. Yeah. You know, like um, the way that they hook us in 
to keep checking updates is through like this thing called intermittent reinforcement, which is like a really powerful way to get a brain to just like want to keep checking their phone because you can get that little dopamine bump each time it gives yeah. you a new notification for a new like. And so they just think about, oh, the body works that way, but there's no like thought about, well, is that healthy necessarily for people's psyches? Yeah. Um, yeah, one thing for me growing up, one thing I thought about a lot as a teen was self-actualization, you know? So I was always trying to look at holding myself accountable, sometimes too much, you know? Sometimes I was too hard on myself. And I'm sure you, I know by what I've seen of you observing from afar that you will relate to this. And I've, I've always thought of things like, how can I try to bring kindness and try to bring uh, comfort to my, my friend group, to the people in my community, my, my circle? And uh, I think with social media, we want to think that we're not the ones that are being manipulated. We want to think that we're smarter than that. You know, like, yeah, that we had the driving, you know, the kind of ideas that, right, exactly, that we're the ones creating people, we're creating the narrative right here, right? And so, it's tough to admit when, you know, like, oh, I'll use an example that I would be sure that I fell for was the the Bernie Sanders anti Hillary uh, rhetoric, you know what I mean, where it's like she's a monster. And I was talking about the, the, the dual, the, um, false equivalents like when you're like you know she's just as bad as trump for example and this is just an example well i don't know if that's true <laughs> you know at, at this point at this point she's pretty terrible in a lot of ways yeah but so... I mean, but now we have this conversation about like biden is is and i mean obviously i'm i'm left-leaning and pretty far left-leaning but point is is that i am confident in saying that i probably fell for that you know you know for some of that stuff and it's it's yeah. painful it's painful to admit when we've been duped. And so sometimes with people with extreme views on, especially from the right, I'm, I'm trying to convince myself to not feel sorry for them, but to at least see it as like, wow, you've really been used, you know, instead of just like you horrible human being, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that that's, that's very wise. So let's talk about where, let's get back to music a little bit. Uh, the inspiration this is this question's always funny because like where does the inspiration come? And you had mentioned Mac Miller, and obviously your guys' sound is very different, but yeah. but the loss of an artist like that somehow resonated with you. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know it's funny. Mac is is younger than me, younger in people our age, and uh, usually you grow up with artists you're, that are a little bit older than you, and those become your your favorite artists. But uh, I don't know. I watched that young man grow up and of all the like white rappers that ever came out, he was the one who I like felt the most soulfully connected to, like like the person that would be my friend. Like I respect Eminem, he puts together all these really complicated words and stuff. But I probably wouldn't hang out with him or whatever, you know, like LP's a cool dude, but he's on a different wavelength. Mac Miller just felt like a very similar kind of archetype to me. So, and uh, I just love, even though our sounds are different, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music. Y'all would be pretty surprised at the music I rock in the shower. Um, yeah, so I would joke with friends before they died that he was my white rapper soulmate. And um, and most of the rappers I listen to are African-American, but out of the white boys, he was my favorite. And so... Yeah, he, he was good. really on to something, too. You know, he was really making... I mean, he started with with party music, and you know, 
uh, I'm not super into the stuff that's like, yeah, the stuff that's all about suck my dick. You know, I'm not into that stuff too much. And I never was, even when I was younger. But man, his last project that came out after he died was was pretty powerful. And about what's that? Circles. I think so. And it, I mean, it was the one with Blue Moon and that and that that track, and then some yeah. other ones. And I think the song Dono or Dono. That stuff, that was just incredible. I mean, it's simple, you know, and and I was really thinking that he was on to making his own genre almost, you know, because he's yeah, really talking was, about mental like, health and swimming 2009. That's my probably my favorite hip hop song. Yeah, he was pretty good. And it's pretty sad. I saw in the news that the the person that's being charged that, you know, now there's a person charged with that that actually sold him the knowingly from what i've heard sold him the 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 fentanyl laced drugs i mean don't take drugs kids that'll that's the easy way to not take fentanyls don't do drugs period so you know yeah it's crazy how fentanyl is out it's and and it's something that's rampant here you know now you we can segue a little bit into some of your your professional work you know firsthand you work with uh people in crisis tell me a little bit about what kind of work you do yeah, well, I actually, I'm in transition in that realm. Right now, I'm actually a, a recess supervisor at a, a hippie school. But for the past four or five years, I've been working with the unhoused. And uh, at first, I helped co-create a program that was doing street outreach for at-risk youth um, or vulnerable youth. And I did that for a while. And then I managed uh, camps for the unhoused for a couple years. And now I actually live about a block from the huge Washington Jefferson homeless camp. I see crazy stuff in my alley all the time. And what I'm working on, and it's like kind of the construction process right now, and then when I'm done promoting Empires That Life Evolves, I'll take that baby out into the world. But really like thinking about and working on how we can provide more therapeutic opportunities for people that are unhoused out there um, to really kind of like liberate therapy from the ivory tower and bring it to the the streets. Um, I quit my my job managing homeless camps because I realized I wanted to do something that was a a little less institutional, a little less social working, a little bit more soulful, a little bit more to really focus in and center in on mental health because I think that that was a key component that my former company didn't offer. And um, yeah, you know, the thing is, is that there's someone else will pick up that slack and then you can do a different area and there's, you know, in what they do, I think that it's, it's important to say that there's so many things that need to be done that there's so many areas that we need to focus on. I'm actually talking. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking behind the scenes about doing an episode with shelter care and uh, they had reached out to me. uh, And so we're going to do a full thing about houselessness uh, in Eugene, because it's obviously the number one issue, you know, and it's growing so much. Yeah. So I mean, what I really am doing is like creating trainings that I want to offer to cities and nonprofits about how to like really work with people doing trauma informed care, and uh, harm reduction principles. And it's like, some people in my life are like, you know, you can r- keep running around year after year, Play-Doh, dragging yourself tired, or you can try to train, you know, more Play-Dohs and get more work done. There's, not, so there's probably that, not more Play-Dohs, first of all. 
<laughs> well, more people no, with that skill set. No, I know. And so I think that that was very wise of them. And so, yeah, I got to a point where it's like, let me just like scale things back and put together something that is going to maybe do more work than just me running out no. there offering my skill sets, training people, all the things I've learned being out on those streets for all those years. Yeah, totally. No, and I, I mean, I'm kidding around when I say that, that there's not more Play-Dohs. You're one of a kind for sure, but there's a lot of people with their own one of a kind, you know? And yeah. so there, there's a lot, yeah, there's a, there's a whole uh, community that you can inspire, I'm sure, by the work you do. And, you know, this, this whole talk about houselessness, it, it so resonates in your album. You know, yeah. Empire, Empires Die, Life Evolves. Talk about what that concept is. I mean, we're kind of, we've been hinting at it, but let's really break it down. You know, empires die. So the fall of the empire and then life evolves. What does that part mean? Well, things always change. I mean, you know, uh, Rome wasn't around at some point and then there's just a bunch of people calling themselves Italians, you know, like something survives the empire usually like you know you go to southern mexico and guatemala and you find people that sir they are still carrying that mayan tradition even though like the kind of mayan empire died and so it's like thinking of looking at time and i think that first off i think we are living in an extraordinary period of time like super rare like only comes around every couple hundred or thousand year type of thing because we have so much going on uh you know we're now a global village we've never been a global village right. before right. so interconnected but i mean most of humanity's history we've only saw about 150 people in a lifetime you know like for time since time immemorial we dealt with like these little pods so these cities are are chaotic and crazy but also it's kind of an accomplishment if you think about how contrary a city as a concept is to the evolutionary conditions of which we evolved we evolved up to this point so and then you have technology that's changing everything extremely rapidly like i think we're in the most profound technological shift in human history right now yeah um, yeah you saw you saw facebook you know, it's changing to meta, you know, and yeah. uh, uh, it's interesting. It's 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 if you let yourself, you could be kind of you could be like, that's pretty scary that we're getting yeah. into this virtual world where people are not looking up anymore. People are not outside uh, experiencing, you know, the earth. And I mean, we're going to end this uh, in a bit, but we got a lot more to talk about. But we're going to end this with the song Kid in the Woods. I played your other uh, single uh, celebrate the liberation last week and then this week kid in the woods talks about how you grew up you know in the elements basically and so we're losing that sometimes where people are people are blind they're not uh, connected with the environment and the earth and we have to we have to get back to that that's a very us we're gonna die you yeah know? yeah no that's a very eugene thing and i'm super grateful that i grew up in a time in Oregon when there was a lot of festivals booming and I was a 16-year-old kid at hemp fests and things like that. I've never been to the country fair. Are you a country fair person? I am. I lucked in the first summer I came here. Um, I moved to Eugene and I told everybody I was moving to Eugene to grow roots. 
which is uh, kind of ironic because I later, you know, co-founded the Eugene Avant Gardeners and did a TED Talk on gardening and all this stuff. But when I first came to town, I was like, I think I just need a job where I can make my own hours and like just work in a garden in a really mellow kind of environment. I've been living in downtown Seattle, and so I needed to just kind of ground out. And I've been traveling a lot in my early twenties, and so it's like I'm coming to Eugene to grow roots. And uh, my first job was with uh, Nikki Scully, who was married to the manager of the Grateful Dead, Rock Scully, for a long time. And uh, I took off to go to a rainbow gathering, and she was like, well, if you like rainbow, I'm taking you to Oregon Country Fair. I was like, what's that? And she's like, well, come see. So, like, I was very blessed enough to stumble into Eugene, and a few months later I'm camping at Oregon Country Fair with, like, you know, kind of this like hippie royalty from the Grateful Dead scene, like yeah. And so you know, I mean, how long how long have you lived in Eugene? Ten years, okay, longest yeah. I've lived anywhere in my life. So you've seen it when it was alive and well pre-COVID. I wanted yeah. to talk to you about the challenges of not only as an artist and performer, but as a festival type person. You know, a festy kid, whatever whatever you want to call it. That with COVID, I mean, having that stuff canceled, it's soul sucking for people because they look they look forward to the festivals. I don't think people understand. There's people that go for one day, have fun. There's but there's people that their identities is so built into festivals like the specifically the country fair, but a lot of them. And so, you know, sometimes this it all ties together because I think that the houselessness there's this festival feel. It started with it started to me where it became a lifestyle in 2009 in the sleeps camps that followed Occupy Wall Street, where people were like, let's write to write to housing protest, you know, and it became this like community thing. So they actually had some something, you know, and so for people that have jobs and have houses and have families, at least they got to live that for a week or two weeks out of the summer, you know, and then they would go back to their lives. But for some people, that's their everyday experience. You know, they've created this like commune type environment. Does that make sense? I know that's a crazy thought and it's too complex for me to talk about in one hour, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot, you know, but let's talk about COVID and then I'll get into that second craziness. Okay. What kind of challenge has that been for you personally? You know, the, the country fair being canceled and festivals and then also as an artist, not being able to perform outdoors, you know, at, at some of those major events. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, last weekend I should have performed at Okanagan Family Fair. I was super excited. It's like a, it averages about 10,000 people. It's up in northern Washington. I used to go as a young man every single year. And like I started off going up there just for like, to be honest, the drugs as a teenager. And then over time it came became about giving back and connecting with community and myself and nature and uh, went on that kind of path. And that was canceled. There's a super bummer. I was super looking forward to presenting the new album on main stage, like this return after, you know, all these years ago, starting there as just like a, a wild kid. Uh, Oregon Country Fair, I would do every single year until COVID came and I performed every year. I performed at OCF like seven, eight times. And uh, that was like part of my, it was like almost like a spiritual check-in once a year. Yeah. Like this it's so significant. Week. So hopefully, hopefully next summer. 
Yeah, and so like, you know, to be honest, I have been performing at some events, like there's been kind of this uh, movement of people that have like thrown like smaller gatherings out in the woods, like that have those OCF vibes that have like 100, 200 people. Right. And uh, they they never pay, <laughs> but, and they're always chaotic. But uh, I've been going out and performing at those, and it's been very important to me personally because it's, like, given me a, enough of a taste of that life that sure. I, you know, because I spent years building up this summer routine of, like, uh, events I would perform at, conferences I'd teach at, summer camps I would teach, and, like, all these gigs. And then COVID just came and just, like, wiped away years of work of building my schedule around the year. Right. And that's been very hard. Like, yeah. yeah, and having goals. I mean, if you, have a, if you have a show coming up, if you're having a bad mental health day on a Tuesday and you're like, I got to stay in bed, that's fine. But on Wednesday, you get up and focus on the show you have on Saturday. Yeah, you know, yeah. If, you, if you have something to do that you're always looking forward to, you know, for me and my partner, we've started looking at vacation and we're fortunate enough that we can afford to do, you know, modest vacations. But I mean, we did a big one to Ireland, but that was know, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we did keep it on the cheap and we spread it out over two years to pay for it. But still, I do want to talk a little bit, if we can, about what I was kind of talking a little bit about the houselessness uh, explosion, because I think that work you've done. Uh, you have seen it firsthand. And I want to talk about maybe some of causation, you know, and, and that's my observation. I've never really talked about this on the show and I didn't plan on talking about this, but I think you're a good person to talk to about it. So in 2009, do you remember the Occupy Wall Street movement was across the West Coast as well? Yeah, I was, I was one of the main speakers for Occupy Eugene. That's how I got known in this community was being a prominent Right. So, you know, and so, you know, after that, after that was kind of shut down. Yeah, that's Washington, where I started working at homeless camps. Was the that's occupier. what I'm saying. So this started this whole thing where you had this kind of, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that people are struggling, like the death of an empire, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and people find, yeah, no rent. and yeah. Th there's just no way for them to get their footing because when you become homeless or houseless, you can't, you don't have an address. So sometimes you can't get a job. You don't have a phone necessarily. And, and that, and there's a lot of, you know, services that are allowing, you know, people will complain. They'll be like, oh, see this guy asking for money on the side of the street and he's got a phone. It's like, well, he can't get a job if he doesn't have a phone, you know, you know, so, so you can't get out of it. But do you think that there's some truth to what I'm saying about how this communal or commune feel was almost in appealing to people where they wanted the, they're like, wait a minute, this lifestyle. Now I don't want to say that they choose or they, and they embrace this like home houselessness is preferred by no means. Is that the case? But I think people actually make the best of a bad situation sometimes by having other people with the plight, common plight. Does that make sense? Like where there's almost this community feel, I think that there's a lot of truth to that where there's people. Yeah, I think that, Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, I think there's a lot of truth to that where there's people that are like drawn to it because some of the only ways that they find peace is by helping others that maybe because there, there's like a change, there's a social ranking among houselessness, among the houseless community. There's people that are a lot more uh, able to help others. And then there's people that aren't able to even help themselves that need the most help, you know, and so there's all these different ways that people can kind of 
be part of that community. You know, I don't know exactly where the question is in that, but I, I see that, I see that, that, yeah, I see that that was like a huge beginning to this really taking off to where at least there was some kind of positivity coming from a commune type thing. Yeah. And I think that, um, it's kind of, it's tempting, but it's problematic to think of the unhoused as like this monolithic group right? when it's really a diverse group. And so you have a lot of younger people that are kind of like, you know, from that road dog, uh, gutter punk kind of culture. Like vagabond. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like F the Empire and they go up and down the I-5 and like are like kind of travelers. And, and you have them from their 20s to like older folks that have been doing it for 20 years. So you do have that segment that like, is kind of willingly embracing this alternative lifestyle. And given that we have such a housing crisis, it kind of gives them the green light to come out of the, the shadows a little bit more in the alleys into like the parks or whatever. And so you have that, you have another aspect of people that are, um, I did a survey for the city of Eugene. I spoke with hundreds of unhoused people a few years ago. And from my perspective, um, the average unhoused person was somebody that tried to is middle aged and tried to follow all the rules, and maybe they made a mistake or just and, a bad break. Yeah, yeah. And the system is so you know so little room for error, and we don't have that community fabric to catch us like we used to. So it's like, oh, they got a divorce. They didn't handle the divorce that well, and maybe they went out drinking, and then they got DUI. But then they couldn't get to work because they got DUI. So then they lose their house. And like, um, you see a lot of that type of stuff happening where it just kind of spirals. And then they're like, oh man, what do I do? And so you have a lot of people like that, that while they didn't choose the street life, they are going to make the best and look out for each other and try to help each yeah. other out. Um, I do want to say that there are a lot of, there's a percentage of people on the streets that are just like amoral though and like yeah. you know i don't want to paint a, a rosier picture rosier than it is like there are some people that you, you should stay away from that are just like causing bad stuff to happen stealing and absolutely i mean that's what led to the end and thank you so much for breaking that down because you, that's what i'm saying i don't want it to sound like what i'm saying is oh this is some big kumbaya party you know, yeah. these people, but people have made it like the reason that we use the word houseless and not homeless is because people have made it a home. People have yeah. made it something to take pride in. Do you know That's what I'm saying? So inspiring and beautiful. Right, I, I love right. seeing that stuff. Right. Like, and I just wanted to, I mean, I think maybe you and I can talk about this again another time at length about more of your experiences uh, working with that community and, and that community is such a broad swath, you know, so many people across yeah. Lane County. I have a, a memory when I was about 21 or 22 and I was drinking a lot and I was sitting on the porch and hanging out at my buddy's house every day. And this guy, uh, his name was Jerome. He would come and ride his bike up and he was an older guy. He was in his sixties and we were talking to him and he was very clean and he always smelled like cologne and had Hawaiian shirts. He looked like one of the beach boys. And, but he was he was really really collected but we got to talking to him and he's like oh i'm homeless and we're like what and he's like yeah i just i can't get back off the hamster wheel i can't get back on the hamster wheel yeah he's like i just what happened is is his wife 
had passed from breast cancer quickly. Like he found out she was sick and she was dead in a month. And mm-hmm. he had a he had a uh, you know great job here in Eugene, great job. Drove a Corvette, you know, or, or whatever convertible. I'm not a car person, but he drove a really nice car. And he just like you said, he he got a DUI, lost his his right to drive because it was pretty serious. He was facing some criminal charges that did get dropped. Lost his job, lost his his five hundred thousand dollar home, and this was like twenty years ago. So that was humongous, you know. Yeah, totally. And uh, just gave up, and he couldn't. He couldn't find the will to to push on. So all he did was drink and talk to us stupid kids. And it yeah. was something I'll never forget, you know. And yeah. alcohol obviously is a coping mechanism, but it's also a cause of a lot of the the pain. And you talked about community and how people sometimes make they slip up. I am very fortunate that I, as an alcoholic, had slipped up a few times and I had had people there that would help me. You know, to keep keep me up, or I would have found myself in those positions. And one of the best episodes of my podcast I did with Blair Conrad talking about, you know, she was using drugs and and houseless, living off of Highway ninety nine in a tent, and she found out she was pregnant, and she went into the Catholic Church, and the and a bunch of the church and a bunch of other people helped her get back on her feet. And that's a great episode. It's early in the show. It's called Homeless in Eugene. Very oh. important for people to check out. Go back and listen to that one. Yeah, y'all. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Plato, it's really cool to chat with you. It's great to actually get to, to finally formally meet you, even though it's virtual. Uh, same, same. Uh, I've ne- I've, I haven't been within 10 feet of anyone in two years. No, I have. But uh, So let's talk about this last song. Uh, again, the, Empire, the album is called Empires Die, Life Evolves. It's on all uh, streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. Uh also, Play-Doh.com, Plaedo, P L A E D O, and the the song I chose is "Kid in the Woods," and I chose it because you have a music video for it. You made a music video for "Celebrate the Liberation," and then for this one, "Kid in the Woods," featuring New Reb. Talk about the backstory about the song before we we get out of here. Yeah, yeah. So first off, I want to shout out New Reb. New Reb is like a funk, hip hop, reggae artist out of Minnesota via. California via Hawaii now Eugene he's like a, a bigger brother of mine an older brother in the music community and uh, I went over his house to get a reggae song he's such a reggae artist and he played me that beat uh, for a kid in the woods and I was like yo I need that <laughs> and I've never heard anything that sounds like that so please hook me up with that and uh, yeah so then he gave me the beat and we talked about that day, we talked about how we had both spent time in the woods with our kids the previous weekend. And so we we're like, kid in the woods, that's the song concept. Let's make a song about being kid in the woods. And for me, my parents met on uh, The Hate. It's like a big hippie in neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they were down there like with the hippie kids. And when all those hippies went to Oregon and Washington for the Back to the Land movement, that's what brought my parents from Cali to Oregon. Wow. And so they settled down in the woods and had me. And uh, yeah, I grew up in the woods, like I say in the song, with a pack of wolves. I have these pictures with me and like six, seven wolves. And just like a really kind of idyllic hippie environment for a while. And 
you know, I think it's interesting. It's like by the time I graduated, I was still living in the woods. I wasn't with my parents because they had some tragedies and traumas happen. But I was with my grandma, and I graduated in a town of 300 people. Wow. Yeah, 22 kids in my high school class. And I ran to the city. I ran to the city. And, you know, it's just ironic to me is now on the weekends, I take my kid out hiking and out to the woods and camping. I drive past these small towns and I'm so curious about them. I care about them so much, but I know I can't go back. And I know I don't want to go back. And so it's trying to capture for me personally, trying to capture all that in a verse as well as like the fact that small towns are dying, like yeah. they are shrinking yeah. at an incredible rate. And well, and burning down too. I mean, this is the thing with climate change. We saw the McKinsey, you know, how much that devastated yeah. that area. So the music video was uh, made by Simon Baum. Is that correct? Yeah, RXN. It was shot yeah, at reaction. the Funny Farm. Shout out the Funny Farm. I love that community of people. They're just south of Eugene. And yeah. I love Simon. He's super talented, super laid back to work with. Yeah, I've had him on the podcast. He did a show. Oh, cool. He toured with Ender. And uh, reaction, I think is what it is. He he's an incredible person and he's doing great work. And he's one of the just most talented MCs I've ever met, you know. So I yeah, mean, he's, he's on the album as the MC, too. And I love his verses. Yeah, Super he, he's so calculated. Point. God, he's like a he's like a surgeon with his lyrics. Oh, he's so like steady and put together and like, yeah. So. He's like one of those people that must understand like the importance of preparation to a thousand percent, you know, like yeah. if anybody yeah. has seen him live too, RXN reaction is what it, what it is. Uh, Simon Baum, look out for him. Cause if you see RXN on a flyer, you need to go to that show because he is like a surgeon. The way that he performs, it is so, he's so meticulous and every word is, is understandable on a mic, which for a live performance is pretty impressive for hip hop. And yeah. it's really, really, really technical. You know, he's a very, very, very good artist. And so, to be able to do both of those at once is is super cool and like hard to accomplish. Like I, I think that there's so many MCs that sound great on record but sound terrible live. Right, which is and, fine. <laughs> you know, no, it's, yeah, it's, which is totally fine. Yeah. Totally. Fine. I mean, even me, like I slow down my lyrics. So that when they are delivered live, they hit a room full of intoxicated people better. Yeah, I've had to, I've had to do that over the years too because it's you and I, I. We have very different styles, uh, aesthetic wise as well. But I think that there's a lot of similarities if you actually get into some of my older lyrics, the way that we write, you know, the way that we think, the way that it's it's interesting because I I, I find that to be true with so many different types of people that there's yeah. something that I can I can relate to, even if we're super different. That's the beauty of the world, you know. So Plato, yeah. you have a very Eugene story. I know it says you said 10 years you've been here, but a decade allows you to be a, a resident in my uh, in my eyes. You're officially one of us. I've lived yeah. here. I've lived in Lane County since I was 11 years old, so that's a long time. But uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I I just I think that the, your story is such a great example of Eugene and some of the stuff uh, that is great about our community. And a lot of the stuff you do is not for notoriety. Yeah, you make music, get a lot of attention, like to, like people to pay attention to that. But the work that you do 
for the houseless community and gardening. We didn't even talk about that today. We'll have you back on to talk for an hour about gardening because I know that's one of your passions. But you do some really incredible work. And anybody that knows you and is friends with you on your social media feed, even you talking about your joy with this project, it's infectious, your positivity. So I really, really appreciate seeing it. And I'm really grateful that you came on and talked to me on the podcast. And it's cool to get to know you. Now we can call each other friends officially. Yay. Yay. So, hey, thank you so much, Play-Doh, for doing this. And we're going to get out of here. We're going to end this with a song. This is Play-Doh featuring New Reb. This is Kid in the Woods. I grew up in the woods, in the mountains, with my wolves, a hippie child, free and wild, feels like another life, so much has changed, but anyways, I'd explore the forest for feathers, fairies, mushrooms, berries, feeling that pieces, the breeze through leaves as trees wave high, said goodbye to the spirit of the forest, I fell in love with a stranger, moved to the city, yet something was missing, can we know who we are if we can't see the stars, I tried to go back to that old town, forest cut down, the mill shut down, it's ghost town now so in search of the forest where more bliss is found yo i want to be in a place surrounded by trees my kids can see grow eternally but your worries so from the train tracks of a past to traffic jams on trampled lands city expands in urban madness can't stop what's gonna happen still searching for that stranger in love with the city life i still miss the stars in the sky smell of the forest and so today i'm going camping with my family relaxed and happy because it feels real good to be with my kids playing in the woods this smell is taking me away into nostalgia and i'm feeling like a kid in the woods memories returning like a freight train in the silence i can hear it calling saying that i could be the kid in the woods be the kid in the woods be the kid in the woods you get in the woods Sun rays shining through Negative space in the canopy I follow the trails That lead me to real me Out here so clear The automatopias of life The voices singing is good to see ya I'll take my time observing everything And I'll walk in circles Never stop the singing out here so clear, the smell it takes me away To a feeling that I haven't felt since back in the day Back in the day, back in the day Lost in the woods, just a kid at play That's my way, that's my way Doing anything I want that day Catching frogs, building forts Riding my bike, just being a dork Sometimes I be all alone And sometimes I would use the phone To call up a homie, had to do it at home Cause there weren't no cells, had to dial tone
memories returning like a freight train in the silence. I can hear it calling, saying that I could be the kid in the woods. 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 Be the kid in the woods.